0: This is the podcast version of the YouTube series, From Here to the Stars. I am your host, Stephen Ewan Cobb. Our guest today is Dr. Cameron M. Smith, a prehistorian at Portland State University's Department of Anthropology, focusing on human evolution, past, present, and future. He has written nearly a dozen books, published articles in magazines such as Scientific American, Archaeology, and Spaceflight, and spoken to many audiences, such as at TEDx in Brussels and Portland. I see that you're on the schedule to speak at the 2016 Tennessee Valley Interstellar Workshop. For those who can't be there, if you would, tell us a little bit about the information that you'll present.
1: I'm going to be talking about the cultural and biological aspects of sending humanity, or a small percentage of humanity, to an exoplanet. Basically, uh, people are working on designs for what are called world ships. These are gigantic craft, sometimes several of them in parallel, but uh, they contain tens of thousands of people, and the idea is to send some to an exoplanet. You know, we're discovering exoplanets now at a rate of one per day, roughly, and it won't be long before we can even detect the atmosphere of uh, exoplanets. The James Webb Space Telescope is going to be able to analyze the atmosphere of exoplanets. And we're going to find one that we want to go to. And within a century, the idea of uh, the group that I work with, uh, which is called Icarus Interstellar, it's a think tank. uh, The idea is at the end of the century, give humanity the option to travel at near light speeds and reach exoplanets. And so I study the the human aspect, the population uh, uh, issues, the, the genetic issues, and also the cultural change through time.
0: I'm curious, are some of the challenges of living an extended life in space specific to space, or is it mostly the maybe a small community or isolation from the rest of humanity?
1: Oh, that's a great question, because really many of the conditions of life are going to be very much like they are here on Earth, and oftentimes we think of space settlement or, or sending people on one of these craft. And we think it's a very strange environment, uh, you know, vacuum or, or, or uh, no gravity or something like that. But no, we of course, we have to have an atmosphere. So we'll have a breathable gas at roughly or, or something similar to earth pressure. Um, and we will achieve the effect of gravitation by rotating the craft so that you uh, everybody's seen this, for example, in In 2001, the movie, you see the rotating spacecraft uh, and people have gravity. The the reason that we need to have these essentially normal conditions for humans is that, generally speaking, evolutionary systems don't take major radical changes uh, that occur very quickly very well. So really, we'll make an environment uh, that is much like the surface of the Earth, much like what humanity has experienced for uh, thousands of years. And we'll essentially send that little bubble of Earth conditions to one of these interstellar or one of these exoplanets. So, yes, what I'm looking at over some centuries, I'm looking at the, the genetic and the cultural change. Um, and yes, a lot of my studies have to do with, well, what what has that world been like or what is what has uh, transpired over several centuries? in smallish sort of village or town sort of populations.
0: Is this somewhat like the people that have to live for extended periods of time in a submarine?
1: Well, the idea used to be that that it would be like a submarine and that you would send a tiny uh, group of people, There would be explorers, uh, almost like a military craft, high discipline and all of this. But over centuries, um, that sort of structure doesn't, uh, I don't think that structure will work. Um, even, for example, if we look at the Antarctic and we send crews of people down there to the Antarctic, they can go, you know, four or five seasons before they really say, I need to get home. I need to have normal conditions of life. And that means a house and, a, and, a, and, and fresh water and neighbors and different people to talk to, the ability to move around, that kind of thing. So, I'm, I'm thinking. Really, the, my better analogy, rather than a submarine, is a, a village. A, you know, any town, USA, May, Mayberry, uh, where you have, um, you know, five, ten thousand people, and um, it's large. These, these, the, the technology now is coming along. People are learning uh, how to manufacture in space, so it can be a large village-sized craft. Uh, with thousands of people and, and they have homes and uh, they don't live in barracks. They live in, in houses, homes, uh, uh, and they go about daily life just like we do here. If they have kids, the kids go to school. They get up, the, the adults, they go and do their work. They might work in the maintenance. They might Most of them will be farmers because they have to keep the, uh, the regenerable food and oxygen supply, which is going to be plants, uh, running. So I think it'll be very much like, uh, uh, it's kind of strange to think about, but I think it'll very be very much like an almost a semi-rural uh, uh, town existence.
2: Do you have an idea for a podcast or a video series, but don't have the means to produce and edit it? Or are you simply looking for someone to produce and master your podcast or video series? Well, look no further. The team at Videos, Vocals, and Adventures can help fulfill all your needs for your video and podcast series. Visit Videos, VideosVocalsAndAdventures.com today and find their contact information page for affordable pricing offers to get your next project started. You can also find previous series they have sponsored to get a better idea of what they do and how they can help. Video Vocals and Adventures produces this podcast and video series, From Here to the Stars. Videos, com. That's videos, vocals, and Adventures.com. Visit them today.
0: How much contact do you think people will have? I mean, if they're very distant, say they're on the way to another star, well, then communications would be, um, would be slow. And so I'm wondering how much contact they'll have with, so to speak, the home world.
1: Oh, boy, that's, yeah, that's really interesting. I've started to break up the voyage. You know, you need to, to, to think about it, you need to break it up into pieces. It's too big to take on. And so I've broken it up into at least three, what I call, ages. Let's say in a, it's a 500-year voyage. Well, if we could look at the medieval, we can see, for example, you know, a relatively recent period that's about 500 years long. And we can see, oh, there's an early medieval, there's a middle period, and then there's a late period. When you break it up into those segments, what one thing I've started thinking about is that the earliest age, the departure age, let's say the first third of a 500-year voyage, those people will have connections with Earth. Um, some of the people who are on the, this vessel or vessels will have been born on Earth, so they have, have direct experience of Earth. But over time, that's going to go away. They will have, I think, less and less communication with Earth. Uh, uh, the 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 middle population, and this is really extraordinary for for the human experience. The middle population doesn't have connection with Earth. They've never been to Earth. They will never go to Earth, and they don't know anybody who ever actually lived upon the Earth. And yet, they will also never reach the exoplanet. It's too far, and that is a you know uh, well that's worth thinking about. You know, what what are their concerns? What will their priorities? And 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 interests and motivations be. And then the final phase or the final age of this three age time period uh, is arrival. And now they're thinking about planetness again. They're back into the world of thinking about planets going down to the surface of a planet, uh, all of those issues. And so I think, yeah, over time, connection with Earth will be cut. And they might want to send messages back and forth. But they will have to be independent. They will have to be thinking and 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 sort of motivated by by their own uh, by their own cultural values.
0: Do you have any sense of how big a, uh, a community ship would have to be to be a healthy one? And I don't mean the physical size of the ship. I mean by numbers of people.
1: Yes, yeah, some of my work has been in the population genetics and what population size do we need to maintain genetic health? Uh, you know, ecologists measure the, the health of any population, cheetahs or turtles or something, that the genetic health of a population is measured by its diversity. And that's because if everyone is the same, if everyone is genetically the same, they're very vulnerable to uh, one factor, one disease or one, you know, environmental variable coming along and wiping out everybody because nobody is a little bit different. So genetic health is in genetic diversity, and my studies have found that in human populations, you typically have uh, breeding populations or uh, deems or, or breeding populations uh, of around 10,000, and that you need about a population of 10,000 to reflect the, the whole of human genetic diversity. For a number of reasons, people have suggested smaller populations for interstellar voyaging, but I'm suggesting large populations another reason i suggest large populations is that in nature uh vertebrates uh, vertebrates which are a big group of life forms much like humans including humans in nature almost no vertebrate species has a has a, again one of these reproductive populations of less than about 7000 and i'm taking all of my guidance for how to do this uh with a good chance of success from the evolutionary from evolutionary biology and so again uh, don't do something uh, that is radically different for the genome or for human culture and so I'm staying right? I'm being guided by what do we know about let's say vertebrate population biology with regard to specific numbers I would send at least 10,000 uh, I've done some modeling what happens in catastrophes or the spread of communicable disease this kind of thing and what I've suggested is numbers on the order of 40,000 so imagine four ships, each flying in parallel. Maybe they are just hundreds of kilometers from another. They're all they're tightly packed, although they're not connected by tubes or anything. Uh, this is just one of many configurations. But each one of these 10,000 people aboard a village. Now you have 40,000 people. One of the reasons for this is that this uh, lets you arrive at an exoplanet with a population that's large enough that if you have a catastrophe, you still have enough people to be genetically viable. Some people have suggested much smaller numbers that basically just squeak in, right? They slide into home base, uh, you know, at this exoplanet with just enough humans to be genetically viable. I don't like that idea because my analogy is when I get on a 747 and, and the, the captain tells us how we're going to fly to New York, for example, I don't want them to say or her to say, we have just enough gas <laughs> to reach New York. Mm-hmm. No, we need a reserve so that when you get there, you're not just squeaking in. You have you know, a couple hours of reserve fuel, let's say, to, to, you know, if there's a problem. Mm-hmm. In the same way, a reserve population is a, a safe way to do it. And my studies have shown something on the order of uh, uh, 40,000 is a very good number.
2: Are you a fan of space and traveling from planet to planet? Great! If you would like to get your company advertised on our podcast and video series, you can reach out to us by emailing us media at IRG.space. The Interstellar Research Group has many sponsor benefits ranging from lunar to intergalactic. Be sure to mention that you would like to get your company promoted in the From Here to the Stars podcast and video series. That email address is media at irg.space. Media at irg.space. And be sure to check out our website, irg.space, for more information. Thank you and have a stellar day.
0: Beyond genetic diversity, what about the psychological implications of being in a smaller community than, of course, the entire world? what problems and challenges might that bring up is that also set a lower limit on numbers of population
1: yeah the the cultural and psychological issues are are very interesting and we really don't know much about them one of the reasons i'm i'm going to the tennessee valley interstellar workshop and writing a book on what it's going to be called principles of space anthropology we really don't know yet or we haven't thought about the cultural issues and and how do populations again if we presume that they can stay alive biologically what do we do for cultural health through time and i you know like i say i i don't know we don't know yet we don't know what are the what are the good guiding principles or what sort of structures have remained stable over this kind of timeline but it is in i should say it's in the world of anthropology this The studies have been done, they just haven't been drawn together from the perspective, right, of one of these interstellar voyages. So my research, what I can tell you is this. My research is going into looking at, again, village life, semi-rural, although there is an industrial component to it, but semi-rural village life uh, of populations on the order of some thousands. And what's interesting is that it turns out, after the invention of, of farming about 10,000 years ago, uh, we get the idea that then you know very rapidly cities and, and, and urbanism and civilizations pop up. But actually in most places where, civil, where farming was invented, people settled into populations of 8 to 10,000, something like this, uh, sometimes smaller, but some populations on the order of what we're looking at. Uh, and they persisted those village village life of of sort of agrarian people uh, oftentimes persisted for thousands of years before the invention of civilization and the interconnectedness and networking of of you know the ancient states or ancient civilizations like the aztec or the the sumerians so a lot of my research is looking at now i'll see if this is appropriate or not but a lot of it is looking at the sort of Uh, early agricultural people so they're doing farming it's not hunting and gathering they're doing farming and they're living in populations that are quite similar to what we're looking at for interstellar voyaging. and they got along I don't we don't know exactly how we don't know their cultural structures and values but that's being researched uh, right now
0: your work in building cheaper simpler spacesuits has gotten a good bit of attention if you would tell us about your ideas for spacesuits
1: my idea with uh, trying to build a, a simpler lighter, uh, cheaper uh, spacesuits is simply that um, what we use today, uh, the suits that we use today, uh, they cost fifty-odd thousand dollars, and one of the barriers to space exploration is cost. And my objective has been to get it down to a one-thousand-dollar spacesuit, and our tests so far have shown that uh, underwater in altitude chambers, in cold chambers, uh, and flying in helicopters, for example, to high altitudes, uh, is showing that we're at roughly the Gemini or early Apollo spacesuit technology level. So I'm just trying to put in one little practical part of of space exploration uh, in addition to my studies, for example, in genetics and, and population biology.
0: Well, thank you, Doctor. I sure appreciate you taking the time for the interview. Thanks, Stephen. That was Dr. Cameron M. Smith. This has been the podcast version of the YouTube series... From Here to the Stars, which is created by...